So it's a very human experience to get depressed. I mean, it is, of course, not inevitable. And that's what all this is about and what therapy is for and counselling are for. You know, there is absolutely hope that however long somebody has been experiencing something, it can be different. That was psychotherapist, counsellor and coach John Paul Davis of This Trusted Place. And this is Happiful and Counselling Directories podcast, I Am, I Have, with our How It Helps episode, in which we discuss depression, therapy, ways to approach depression and the small everyday changes you can make to support yourself during a tough time. Before we begin, I'd love to ask you a favour. If you find this useful, please share it with one other person you think would benefit from listening to. And if you have a little more time, we are always grateful for reviews and recommendations. This is I Am, I Have. I'm producer and host Lucy Donoghue, and here is today's episode. Today, we're going to be talking about depression, and I'm delighted to be joined by psychotherapist, counsellor and coach, John Paul Davis. Welcome, John Paul, and thank you for joining us today. Uh, Thank you for having me. This is a a topic that we know is really important, and it's something we see a lot of searches for at Happiful, which is depression. But before we get into the subject, can you tell us a bit about you and the job that you do? Sure, yes. I'm a counsellor, psychotherapist and coach, and I see adults over the age of 18 on a one-to-one basis in full-time practice in Cobham in Surrey and of course online as well. I also write so I've written a personal development book and um, produced a course as well and I contribute regularly to the media now on kind of mental health and emotional well-being issues. Well which is great. So let's kick off with this conversation about depression. For a lot of people we see searches around am I depressed? Can you start off by telling us what is depression? As far as diagnosing depression, it would be a GP or psychiatrist that would need to do that. But of course, as a psychotherapist, it would be one of the most common things that people come through with. They've either been formally diagnosed with depression or a type of depression because there are various different types too, uh, or they probably are feeling uh, depressed but haven't had any kind of formal diagnosis. And I, I suppose perhaps if you ask different therapists and of course different clients as well, they might have a different understanding of what depression is. From from my point of view, I would say that as human beings, we're at our happiest when we're in a kind of middle band, which would be what you might describe as calm and alive. Uh, so there are various things as far as activities, behaviours, relationships with people that put us in that place. Now, of course, that's not always possible as human beings to be in that place. But if we go above that window, you might say, uh, somebody might phrase that as sort of overly aroused, we could be fearful or angry. And then if we go beneath and sort of fall below, then we can feel hopeless, helpless, apathetic, despair. And then there can be a lack of physical movement, that kind of thing that goes with that. And I think for me, depression is a situation where somebody has a tendency to go below. So their their system switches off to a degree. And as I say, the sorts of characteristics of that, the qualities that that might have is that they might experience themselves potentially as helpless in life, experience a hopelessness, uh, despair, as I say, and that can have a profound effect on every aspect of their life. Their mental health affects our physical well-being, affects our relationships, of course, how, how our bodies feel, the behaviours we engage in. So yes, it, it has a, a, an effect on every part of a human being, which unfortunately, I think, for depression reinforces in a sort of vicious circle the, the experience that human beings have. But that's how I'd characterise it. A few things. So hopeless, helpless, 
despairing people might describe that there's a, a can be a lot of internalized anger that goes with it so rather than necessarily anger going out to others it can be turned on self quite a lot and um, as I say that it can result then in a lack of uh, physical movement would be one of the things that you might see as, as well yeah so as I say, a profound adverse impact, unfortunately, on, on all areas of life for people. But there can be a range. You know, some people will experience it mildly. Somebody might have an experience of a day or two experiencing depression for other people. It's something that's been around clinically quite severely for months or even years in their lives. Thank you. And what I take from that is there's a real spectrum when it comes to depression in terms of you said it might be a short lived thing. It might be something that people live with for a really long time and that it's really important to talk to a GP or a psychiatrist to get that initial diagnosis. Um, but what you've just said has really helped in terms of how it might be feeling for you. And I just wanted to touch upon something that you mentioned, which was anger. Now, this is something we see quite a lot of searches for. And I'm really intrigued by how anger intersects with depression. I wondered if you could say a bit more about that. Definitely. I mean, I think it would be a key component of depression, I would say. Of course, people might come with chronic anger, for example. Somebody might come with anger management issues. They're tending to, in my experience, I suppose, act their anger out. Um, there's a lot of people, because of uh, early experience, it wasn't possible to do that, How are acting their anger inwards. And certainly, although when somebody is very depressed, so to speak, it doesn't feel very energetic. So whereas anger being acted out might look energetic and have a lot of energy to it. But certainly, if you listen to what somebody's saying when they're very depressed about themselves, even about the world as well, there is a lot of anger in it. The, the, the language, the words themselves are expressions of anger. So I would say generally for therapy, actually, whether that's men, women, non-binary, whoever comes through, people's relationship with anger is always going to be somewhere in, in the mix, really, whether that because it, it's a key component with anxiety, I would say, of course, when somebody's coming through with chronic uh, anger, perhaps bereavement as well, you might say in relation to addictions, uh, is a trigger for people, anger. And, and I think the reason for that is growing up in environments often for people where anger just isn't acceptable to go out. So somebody's not able, children are not able to process it in a relationship and therefore they remain with that internal conflict. And um, so, I, so it's definitely a, a key component of it. And I think a way through depression or part of the way through that is going to be connecting with anger or be connecting with feelings generally. When I was saying about sort of hopelessness, helplessness, people might say of depression, it's not necessarily being overwhelmed by feeling, but being underwhelmed by feeling. So somebody isn't experiencing the sort of vitality in terms of feeling, and that can be anger and sadness, as well as love and excitement and joy and those things that we want. Somebody's not experiencing that felt, those felt ups and downs of life. At its most extreme, I suppose you could get a, a lack of any uh, ability to feel joy at all, um, which can be diagnosed as well. So. So feeling your anger, along with all other feelings, connecting with it uh, is, I think, is a really important part, which we'll probably come on to, of moving through uh, depression too, because anger gives us important messages about boundaries that are being, well, where we should put boundaries in. And if somebody's going over our boundaries, it, it gets very bad press anger, I think, because if we're acting from it, you know, engaging in behaviours or language from that place and reacting from that place, it can be very disconnecting. But actually, it is a very important feeling for, for human beings. 
Well, I thank you for saying that. And I thank you for saying that anger gets a bad press because, again, we see people looking for articles on anger because I think it's one of those feelings we, along with perhaps depression or feelings of depressions, that we feel we have to push away and we have to not really look too closely at because it's undesirable. And the name of our magazine is Happiful, but that's not because we believe everybody should constantly be happy. It's because there's a lot of different states, you know, in terms of mind mindful, hopeful, all of those things. We need to talk about anger. We need to talk about depression, don't we? Absolutely. And as I say, anger gives us very important messages. The only difficulty with with anger, I would say, and also fear I couple with that, is they do tend to feed themselves. So it's interesting what you're saying about happiful. There is this thing about toxic positivity at the moment, isn't it? That we all need to be happy. We all need to be happy. And actually, I think the way through depression or a way through it is not having to be happy all all, all the time. It is absolutely giving space to your anger, to your fear and why you're feeling those things and uh, having a relationship with those feelings. And also, though, realising that they do feed themselves. So if we're constantly firing fear into imagination or anger into imagination, we, we arouse, we trigger the body, and then round and round it goes. The same in relationship. If what we're talking about all the time, so to speak, is fear and anger in relationship, that can, again, be a self-fulfilling prophecy for us. So it's how do you give, have that relationship with your feeling? It's very important for depression that how do you have the relationship with the feelings, know the messages that they're giving us, and then also be able to manage them to a degree? Because if we sit in anger all the time, if we sit in fear all the time, we won't move through the depression or anxiety or chronic anger that we might be experiencing. That's so important, that ability to sit with or work through, but not sit in and not stay in those states. We were talking about the spectrum of depression. So there's so many different ways we can experience this. But what would you say were the key ways that depression can impact somebody? If we're looking at that numbness that people experience just on that and the importance of feelings I suppose feelings do tell us what to go towards or to come away from that's their key function and uh, unfortunately therefore if we're feeling numb and don't have access to that we don't really know what to go towards or come away from fear will tend to get us to avoid what we would like to be in life I think is motivated to go towards something because of love or excitement or passion or joy and the the difficulty with people who are feeling depressed is they're not getting those messages. They're not having those experiences. So it is, it's interesting. I I can't remember the the quote exactly, but there was something that I read a while ago and I did try and find it afterwards, but I couldn't where this guy was suggesting that actually depression is really about a lack of physical movement, because of course, if you're not excited to do something or don't feel the joy of doing things, whether that's social environments or particular activities, and people can lose the capacity and ability to do that people won't do them and therefore uh, if we come out of relationship with people we would lose the you know what we get from those relationships the feedback we get and then if we come out of particular activities then those can compound the, the the depression itself but if you're looking at the impact of it yes it impacts on every aspect of a human being the way they think they will often be absolutely underestimating themselves have got a problem focused view of themselves, ruminate over things, find a problem in what they've done in the past, what's happening at the moment, anything that might happen in the future, a lot of guilt, regret. If you're looking at physical well-being, sleep gets interrupted uh, or can be. 
for people, diet, um, and then relationships with other people. If there's this sort of hopelessness, helplessness, if I'm not getting the joy from the relationship with people that I would like, I will probably withdraw from it. So people can become lonely as well. Uh, So as I say, it affects the body, the behaviors, the way somebody thinks, the way somebody feels, and their relationships with others, uh, which is really most of what a human being is. So yeah, it has a profound impact. And I think the difficulty can be with depression, comparing them probably isn't that helpful a thing to do. But if you look at anxiety, somebody has a tendency to sit more in that, uh, there's a lot of activity that can go with it. So what am I going to do to, to make this different? And if you sit with somebody who's very anxious, they sit more in that territory than depression, Uh, you can soothe them. So they might, during a therapy session, feel better by the end because we've been able to say things which have been soothing for them. I think the difficulty that can often happen if somebody's very depressed, if there is that hopelessness and helplessness that they experience, there's a lot of reasons why not. Their depression will find reasons why they can't do this or they do things worse than other people. They're unlucky compared to other people. And those sorts of beliefs about self and about others, again, compound the experience of depression. Yes, it just gets into all parts, all parts of life. And from that point of view, disconnect somebody even more, which increases the depression. It sounds like it's something which takes you into yourself in so many different ways, in so many different negative ways. And also there's an element of isolation, perhaps because you don't have the energy to go out and connect, but also you don't want to, you don't feel perhaps good enough or the 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 rhetoric that's going on is all about why you're not important or why you're not valid or why you're not enough. That sounds really tough. What can you do for yourself if you're listening to this and perhaps you're thinking that's where I'm at right now? I I suppose, you know, what I've just been talking about, it can feel quite overwhelming in some ways, the experience somebody might be having, but the, because it can affect and has an impact on every aspect of a human being, what's also great, so to speak, is that you can move through depression using every aspect of yourself as a human being. So if you're looking at, you know, the most common aspects of self that we might think about, so people's thoughts, their feelings, their bodies, their behaviours, and then perhaps also relationships with others, which to a degree is overlapping in behaviours, of course, you can help yourself to move through depression in various ways with all of them. And as I say, that's not to overwhelm anybody. It's just to say that if you help your body to feel good, even in a seemingly small way, that is going to help with the depressed thoughts. If you somehow get more conscious about your thinking and the types of beliefs that you have about yourself and other people, I remember somebody saying that depression is an inability to construct a future as well. So I thought that was very significant because I can hear that with people that are in that depressed place is that what their imaginations are often being used for, as I say, is to identify problems or be annoyed about something. So there isn't necessarily uh, this ability within their imaginations to construct a future. So, but, so even the question, what is it you would want from the future? Something like a vision board. I know people might sometimes roll their eyes at that, but something to think, what is it I want from the future? That is anti-depressing because it is... Uh, what do I what do I need? What am I looking forward to? Questions like, so if you're just looking at the thoughts, questions like who inspires you? You know, those those types of things can be very significant. And as I say, looking in detail 
about or noticing in detail what you're thinking, what your beliefs are about yourself as sort of unluckiness, as you say, uh, people will compare a lot in depression. They think that they compare less favorably to other people. They will think that other people don't have the same ebbs and flows that they do, which I, uh, unfortunately, uh, depression like anxiety as well, and probably anger too, they do distort and work, but our perception of ourselves and, and others and make us think that we're not doing things as well. We're all human beings struggle that so you can look at thoughts you look at imagination you can look at your beliefs about self and others then moving to feelings uh, so connecting with your feelings as i say they give important messages as what to go towards and come away from so noticing particularly and this isn't a toxic positivity thing but particularly when you feel good if there are any moments that you feel good you know what are those can you lean into them and then through the body as I say, it's often associated with a lack of physical movement. People can become disconnected from their bodies as well in depression and anxiety. They can actually have a sort of confrontational relationship with their body in, in, in some ways that it's seen as somehow threatening or a way that they don't compare as well to other people. So improving that mind and body connection, as I say, making their bodies feel good, massage, warm showers, the people jumping into cold baths, but all those things are going to be regulating the nervous system. And I think putting somebody into that calm and alive place, so lifting them from a depression. And there are lots of other things we can do, you know, hand-holding, hugs, petting a, 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 an animal. Those things, again, tend to regulate the nervous system, help people to feel good through their, through their bodies. And, of course, there is an overlap as well between bodies and behaviours. Um, so being out in nature. If you're looking at that calm and alive band that we might be um, keeping in mind because of the aliveness being antidepressing again, nature will often do that for people. When I might say, uh, you know, people will often say as far as I know I should be exercising more. They might often be thinking about, oh, well, I need to go to a gym. The thing about if somebody's depressed and they go to a gym and the comparisons that happen there, I, I mean, good for them. They might love it and it may be very, very helpful. But I think often it can bring up comparisons and actually can mean that somebody feels worse about themselves. Um, it doesn't have to be a particular type of movement or physical exercise that somebody needs to do. I mean, personally, I think that a walk in nature, even for a relatively short period of time, can be very helpful in, in lifting depression because nature has that calm and alive, assuming it's a nice enough day, existence. So it is, it is calming to be, to be looking around, but it also has that constant aliveness, which does tend to be regulating for people and various other things with the, with, with behaviors too. Another thing that I think is really helpful if you're looking at that inability to construct a future creativity, as far as a behavior can be really helpful because again, it's using somebody's imagination to create where depression will tend to take things apart. And so anything where we're using our imagination to create or actually creating with our hands as well is anti-depressing. And again, those things don't need to involve going out into the large groups of people or lots of money or they are, and we can create in lots of different ways. It could be thinking of how we might redecorate a room or what somebody might do to a you know an, an open space or writing or art or all these sorts of things so creativity is important i think so thinking in terms of connection with others connection with self uh, creativity and cultivation lots of c's so uh, anything existing relationships so if you're moving on from behaviors to relationships with others 
I suppose there's a few things there in terms of relationships with others. Often the reason that people experience depression, there's probably some genetic components to it that are inborn as well, but it's something that happens in response to people's external environment. So it's happened in relationships. And uh, therefore, people can then get into relationships, which to some degree reinforce their depressed ways of thinking and being. But really, an important way through depression is also via relationship. We might come on to talking about the part that therapy counselling can play there. But, um, but I think relationships with others, cultivating them, noticing the effect that they have on our bodies. Is somebody making us feel more alive, being around them? What kind of things are we talking about? Of course, that is not going to be the case all the time with human beings. We all ebb and flow. We need to talk about the things that frighten us and anger us. And, um, but you know, being conscious of that, I think, is very important too. So you know, more generally, thoughts, feelings, body, behaviours, relationships with others, Everything that we touch, taste, smell, feel, to some degree is having an effect on our bodies. Um, or oh, just to say on that, and as far as behaviours, uh, media and social media, I think, are important. Quite a lot of people are spending time looking at media, which is frightening and angering them. And I think the, the thing that can be reinforcing depression there is that they're not in control of it, of course. And when people are depressed, agency over their lives, they experience it as sitting outside of themselves. That's the, probably that quality of hopelessness and helplessness. And unfortunately, with, the, with what people are consuming from a, a bad news media point of view, is it's lots of distressing, uh, frightening things that perhaps anger them too, that they have very little control over. So I think we need to think quite carefully about the sorts of media that we consume from that point of view as well. That was a great answer because it is such a gnarly topic, if we're yeah. honest. Depression, there is there is so much around it. And when you're in a depressed state or you're living with depression, however you want to term it, it can feel like, as you said, there's no future. So we do need all of those different tools and the tools that we can identify with that can work with us. But what I really loved about everything you said was that kind of baseline of calm and alive, because it's a question you can go back to very simply if you're feeling that way. Does this help me move towards calm and alive? So you know, perhaps if you're sleeping a lot, you don't want to get out of bed. If you're able to ask yourself, does this make me feel calm and alive? You know, does having a shower make me feel calm and alive? Does going and sitting in a coffee shop to do my work today? So I'm surrounded by people, but I don't necessarily have to have a conversation because I'm feeling low. Can that make me feel calm and alive? Yeah. And I think that the helpful people will often come into therapy and they'll say, I don't want to feel depressed anymore, as I don't want to feel angry anymore. I don't want to feel anxious or be addicted. And you can understand why that, that's the situation. I think it can be very helpful to have that as to well, what, what is it that I do want to feel. And the calm and alive may not be everybody else's language actually came from something I was listening to where somebody was describing the effect that yoga had on the body and balancing the nervous system. I think you can probably see it balance equilibrium as far as our systems you can see how that would describe it, that sort of band that human beings generally feel happiest in. But I like the idea that it's something to aim for. And as you say, it can be a filter. Of course, I can choose to get very excited by the music that I watch or very annoyed by the television that I watch or whatever it might be. Uh, but it's just being conscious of it, isn't it? So I am making a conscious choice about the choices that I'm making in life, bearing in mind that they're all going to be having an effect on my body and therefore my depression. And that goes back to agency, which you were talking about, the importance of agency. I mean, there's so much in there, but we're going to go on to talk about how counselling can help. And 
one of the questions I wanted to put to you about counselling is sometimes what we hear from people in a depressive state is they can't quite make that leap to doing something positive. Mm. You know, they can read, they can see, and they can watch. And social media will have a lot of things, what to do if you're depressed. I had a a look at TikTok yesterday, just put in the word depression to see what came up for that. A lot of the things that are suggested can feel out of reach if you are quite deeply depressed. So what would you say to that? And how can counselling help if you are at that? point. Yes. And one of the things that I did mention is the extent to which some relationships as well that are set up can to some degree, we may not even be realising it, but be reinforcing the 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 experience that somebody's having. So, and as I said, uh, often somebody experiences depression. Some people have reactive depression, so it's a response to redundancy or bereavement or something. But there will be a lot of people, because they take a history when people come in, who will be experiencing depression because of at least partly because of things that have happened in relationship. So I think what counselling therapy, whatever you would call it, uh, can do is, well, two things. It can give somebody an experience of relationship that uh, they may not have had previously. And uh, they may say the unsayable. So their trust in another person, they can be more vulnerable. They can experience intimacy, emotional intimacy uh, within a therapeutic relationship, which can help somebody feel much more much safer in relationship, build trust in others, as I say, and that can really be something that um, depression erodes is, is trust in other people. And of course, trust trust in self. Uh, what can be worked on, therapists, counsellors will all work in uh, different ways, uh, but I might, with somebody who's depressed, be looking, for example, making more conscious the types of beliefs they have, um, looking at their values. So what's important to them in life, and depression can really make the, the mind preoccupied about problems and things that we're annoyed about rather than what is important to me, what is a value, what perhaps even looking back to somebody early experience, what did make them feel alive, what did give them meaning and purpose when they were 10 or 11 years old. So you can also make more conscious those things actively in, in counselling helping somebody's relationship with their body and their feelings and being more conscious of that. Some uh, counsellors will actively be doing mindfulness with people, which can be a real tool that helps uh, with noticing and observing thoughts and feelings more, being more conscious about them. And um, yes, and then generally working on uh, what what might happen, what, what is the effect of being around that person? You know, who do we have in our lives? What what impact are they having on us? And vice versa, what impact are we having on other people? So I think there's the relationship itself is of itself a very can be very helpful. You can look at the impact that you have on the other person, the impact another person has on you, and uh, the extent to which depression might be playing into that. All those things can be looked at with a with a therapist. Um, some people work much more relationally than others and look much more at that than others. But uh, all therapists, I think, will be conscious of the relationship and how it's how it's working, and then ways in which this week, for example, something could be different. And I really don't think there's anything that's a small step. You'll often see, well, you know, to shower for somebody if they're very depressed, it being a small step, it really it really isn't. You know, to, to as I said, with depression, it's so, it can so profoundly adversely affect somebody's quality of life. Uh, if you feel hopeless, if you feel helpless, the effect that that has on what somebody's will do, or I know if somebody's never experienced depression, it can be difficult 
to uh, understand or relate to that. And I think that, again, that can be a difficulty with people. People who are depressed, they often might for a while have spoken to other people about it, but then they start to think that they're burdening people. And if somebody is very depressed and they therefore have a tendency to reject ideas for ways to, in which, or think of reasons why they can't do something or why that won't work for them, it can uh, have the effect on other people that they think, well, I just don't, unfortunately, I want to spend a lot of time around them. So uh, that can be another way it's being reinforced. And that, you know, is not going to happen within a, a therapy situation, counselling situation. So lots of ways in, in which it can help. There really are. And while I was listening to you talk about that, it's also the act of saying something to another human being and that other person listening and not trying to solve in a way that a friend or a family member might. And I think that's one of the most crucial things about seeing a therapist or a counsellor is, is being able to articulate because if you're in that place where you're isolated and internalising, you're ruminating and you're saying the worst things, but you're not hearing it in an external way. Absolutely. And other people may have, it goes back to that toxic positivity thing as well, doesn't it? Is other people may have a tendency because they want things you to feel better they might have a tendency to do this look on the bright side type of things and well you have all this to be grateful about and look at these people that compared to you have really terrible things happening in their lives and certainly depressed and anxious people more often the people that are very depressed will say that a lot I know I shouldn't feel like this because and that tends to be something that makes them feel worse you know there are these people because we all see it on the news having these terrible times that that makes them feel even worse about experiencing things in the way that they they do. Um, and again, what you might be seeing there is that somebody's it is a part of them. You know, the, the depression, the anxiety, the anger, the uh, addict, whatever part it is, it is a part that's not going to disappear. It needs to be related to. And I think the trouble is when people say, "Oh, look on the bright side," or, or "You're always complaining," or whatever it might be, it is. It's, it's reinforcing somebody turning against a part of themselves. And I think within therapy, it might be a bit technical here in some ways, but within counselling, you can really relate to that part. Look at the message that it's trying to give and look at it compassionately. If you're looking at another C, I suppose, you know, connection, creativity, cultivation, I would add compassion to that because with the internalised anger, people that experience depression are the opposite of compassionate to themselves and it is a very human experience humans are wired to struggle whether that is anger or fear wherever somebody sits more to develop addiction to dependencies you know we're wired to do that a bit more than we are to be happy con consistently um, because of our survival tendency and our tendency to go for the rewards and, and that kind of thing which leads to the addiction to dependencies so it's a very human experience uh, to, to, to get depressed. I mean, this is, of course, not inevitable. And that's what all this is about and what therapy is for and counselling are for. You know, there's absolutely hope that however long somebody's been experiencing something, it can be different. Human, we do have very plastic brains. Things can get very rigid. Things can get very fixed. People I mean, looking at the impact on people's lives, of course, can experience suicidal ideation and those make, make suicide attempts. Uh, but there is nobody where it, it's too far gone. In, in my experience at all, uh, there's always hope that comes through that and can certainly come through that relationship, that counselling relationship. That's wonderful. And such a message for this podcast is that there is always hope. Before we finish today, is there anything else that you would like to say about depression that you think anyone listening to this should know? I would say people who are depressed will often think that 
there's something wrong with them or defective about them experiencing it. This isn't in any way to be pessimistic about human beings, but it is a very usual, it's understandable based on our physiology, based on our environments, the media, the types of things we're looking at, the world that we live in, that that, that human beings have a tendency to experience that. And as I, as I say, anxiety and perhaps anger in the way that they do. I'm not trying to diminish what somebody's ex- experiencing and people will experience it at different levels of intensity. Perhaps some people have more of a tendency to be fearful, more of a tendency to depress, others more to anger. Um, but it is a very human experience. It's an absolutely understandable response to perhaps somebody's early life and also to a degree what's happening in the world at the moment and also uh, we can move through it It, as I say there is absolutely hope there there are there are people out there whether that's private therapy you know even podcasts connecting on those types of things people can find very helpful that's the reason for doing these kind of things you know if we're looking at connection to self and also connection to others listening to these things realizing that it's very common human experience and that there are ways that we can move through it and that it's a gradual process actually i would say it's not necessarily a linear process for people um so uh, you know i would never give up i would never think that because of what's happened in the past i can't change this uh, there's always hope and there's always things that we can do to help ourselves and relationships with other people are very important whether that's through a counselor or, or friends uh, as well i always try to trust others um, as, as a way of getting through it. Trust yourself and try to trust others as well. John Paul, you've made this subject so accessible. I have learned a lot through this and have some major takeaways as well about how we can help ourselves, how we can help others and the ways in which counselling can really help and being heard is so important as is listening. Before we finish today, can you tell people where they can find you, where they can find your great content and how they can contact you if they would like to work with you? Of course. Brilliant. Yes, I'm um, so I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, which is patchy <laughs> uh, and Facebook. Um, I am at this trusted place on Facebook. Uh, if you if you search for John Paul Davis on uh, Twitter and also LinkedIn, I will come up. Um, I've got a website which is www.thistrustedplace.co.uk. And um, I have a YouTube channel, which is John, at John Paul Davis. Again, if you put that, that, that name in, it will come up on the channel. So yes, please do subscribe and have a look at the videos. And I also have a podcast, which again is John Paul Davis um, at This Trusted Place. Wonderful. Thank you so much. We'll make sure all of that is in the show notes. We will have snippets from this on our YouTube as well, and we'll link through to you. So do visit happyfor.com. This has been great. I really thank you for today. Oh, you're welcome. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to I Am, I Have. Don't forget to head across to happyfor.com for more great mental health and wellbeing conversations. If you're looking for mental health support, you'll find information on our site, happyfall.com, including links to counselling directory and also charities. If you need immediate help, you can call the Samaritans on 116-123 or email joe at samaritans.org 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and you do not have to be in crisis to receive support. Help is available. I'm Lucy Donoghue, the producer and host of this podcast. I hope you'll listen again soon.